parallel between um, that story and the life of David, King David from the Old Testament. And so today we're going to just ask the Lord to bless us as we um, enter into receiving his word. So if you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for how good you are. Father God, I thank you that you love us and that you want to create in us a brave heart, a heart that would not fear, a heart that would not um, stop until we receive all that you have for us. God, I pray that you would help us hear your word today, that you would close our ears to the lies of the enemy, instead open our ears to the truth of your word. God, I pray that you would help us be brave, that you would help us be warriors, that you would help us be all that you've created us to be. And God, that you would teach us when to fight and when to pray, that you would teach us, Lord God, when to speak and when to be silent. God, that you would teach us, Lord God, when to go and when to stay. God, I pray right now that you would have your way in us. God, we thank you for nine years. We thank you for every soul that has been saved in these nine years. We thank you for every soul that has been touched. We thank you for every life that has been changed. God, we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. And his people said, amen. Amen. I believe the word today is a word that specifically for our body is going to help us. It's going to mature us. It's going to grow us. It's going to make us, um, if we would receive it into uh, enter into the next level that God has for us as a church. And so please just be ready to receive today. We've been talking about what it takes to have a brave heart, to have a heart like King David. See, the scriptures uh, talk about the heart, and I love what it says in the book of Jeremiah. It really gives a good description of what the heart really is. And it says this in the message version in Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10. It says, the heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. But I, God, search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. In these last several weeks, we have been talking about heart issues and not heart issues that are surfacey, but I'm talking about deep heart issues. The first week we talked about rejection and overcoming rejection to have the brave heart that God wants us to have. Last week we talked about being courageous and what it takes to be courageous and what it takes to finish the job that God has called us to. And today we're going to talk about something that I believe has plagued the church for far too long and it's called offense. Can you say that with me? Offense. Offense is the bait of Satan. It is what keeps us from living our true and full destiny. And God wants us to be all that he has created us to be. See, King David understood this. The Bible says that he has a heart after God. And matter of fact, God testifies of this himself both in the Old and New Testament in Acts 13, 22. It says, God testifies concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to. See, friends, a brave heart is not easily offended. God wants us to walk in our full destiny, and therefore we need to lay down all offense, bitterness, and unforgiveness at his feet. Today we're going to talk about three habits that we need to develop in order 
for us to have hearts that are free from offense. And if you walked in this morning, hopefully you received a bulletin. If you're going to take notes with us, there's a talk it over sheet you can pull out. And there's just a three points there that you can help fill in the blank. The very first thing, if we want to have a heart that is free from offense, the habit that we need to develop is we need to learn that payback is not our responsibility. Can you say that with me? Payback? Payback is not our responsibility. See, King Saul tried to kill David numerous times, yet David never retaliated by trying to kill King Saul. Saul came to hate David because he knew that Jonathan and David were intimate friends. That was his son, Jonathan. And he knew that Jonathan, his son, would never be king of Israel as long as David was alive. And he was jealous of David. There's at least seven different accounts that's mentioned in scripture of the times that King Saul tried to kill David. Now you have to remember as we've been speaking the last several weeks, David was anointed as king because Saul fell into sin and did not have true repentance. And so God said, I was going to search for one greater than him, one who's going to be after his own heart. And he found David. Even though David suffered rejection, even from his own family, David learned how to be courageous and God anointed him as king. But he served underneath the King Saul for a, a time being until King Saul was driven with such jealousy and such hatred that he literally drove David out of the kingdom. And so David had to flee for his life. And he gathered with him some other men who were offended, if you will, at the kingdom and the way the kingdom was going. And so David and his mighty men left the, the country, and they were, went into the wilderness, and they were hiding from King Saul. And King Saul was chasing them down like common criminals. And there was a time that King Saul actually chased them down to the, to the point that King da- or David and his men were hiding in a cave. And this is found in 1 Samuel chapter uh, 24. And what happened was Saul, because he was a man, had to use the restroom. And so what did he do? He went into a restroom in the cave, right? He went into a porta potty. <laughs> and there was David with his men. And matter of fact, the Bible said that David got so close to him that he was able to cut the hem of his garment. He was able to cut a piece of his robe, if you will, off. And He let Saul go, even though his men were like, come on, it's time to get payback. Or as we say in the hood, paybacks. You know we got to add us. It's time to get paybacks. It's time God is delivering. The matter of fact, they even made it spiritual. God is delivering your enemy into your hands. What are you going to do? They're like, come on. If you don't want to do it, we can do it. Just give us the word. They're like, it's, gonna, it's going down right now. Come on. And yet David restrained himself. He refused to allow his warriors to kill King Saul. And he refused to do it himself. The Living Bible gives a good sense of 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 12. It's, David says this after he spoke to King Saul and said, hey, look, look what I got here. Here's your piece of robe. I could have killed you. But he says this. Perhaps the Lord will kill you for what you are trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. In fact, David protected Saul by restraining his men. 
It was inevitable, friends, that Saul would be judged and that he would lose his throne because God spoke that judgment over him. But it was absolutely God's business to accomplish that. It was not the business of anyone else, friends. God does not want us to be doing his business. He wants us to be about his business instead and allow him to do what only he can do, friends. See, Jesus established the same principle in Matthew 18 when he said, offense must come, but woe to the man by whom offense comes. God's judgment is God's business. It's one of the reasons why it drives me nuts when I see Christians wanting to say, oh, this bad thing happened to this part of the world, or this bad thing happened to this family, like Job's friends, because of God's judgment. Allow God to do what God needs to do, and you stop trying to put your mouth on it. See, we put ourselves in a bad place when we allow ourselves to be instruments of God's judgment. We need to allow God to do what God wants to do, and we need to wait on him. See, David also said something like this. He said, wickedness proceeds from the wicked. When you read in here, he says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked. See, David used this proverb to make a point. He was saying, Saul, if I really wanted to kill you, like your advisors are saying I want to, then I could have did it. But because there's no wickedness that proceeds from me when I had the opportunity to kill you, I did not. I restrained myself. I'm allowing payback to come from the Lord, not from me. See, Jesus said something like this. He said, what goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean. But what comes out of a man's mouth is what makes him unclean, friends. When we have this thing in us that always wants payback when someone does us wrong, when we have something in us that always wants to retaliate, always has to have the last word, come on, then we have some wickedness in us that we need to surrender to the Lord. A prayer I'm going to let you in on that I've been saying over myself probably for the last five weeks is in my prayer journal. I'm going to give you a little insider in Pastor Joy's prayer journal. I've been praying, Lord, when I want to say something that does not bring you glory, would you please, and I go Old Testament prophet, let the tongue in my mouth stick to the roof of my mouth so I don't say it. So I've been having a little bit of a callus up here on the top of the roof of my mouth. It's been hard. (laughs) Friends, it's so easy, isn't it? Isn't it so easy to want payback when someone does us wrong? Isn't it so easy to want to get that one last word in when someone says something mean to us? Isn't it so easy to want to hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness when we feel that we are justified in our actions because someone was clearly wrong to us? Well, see, friends, David refused even though he was clearly wronged by King Saul, he refused to touch the Lord's anointed. He said, therefore, let the judge, the Lord be the judge, and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. David told Saul, I'm trusting God that he will deliver me out of your hand. Instead of finding a way out of the trial in the flesh, David did the harder thing. He trusted God to deliver him. Friends, this is what we do. We begin things in the spirit and we try to end it in the flesh. The Bible says, do not end in the flesh what was begun in the spirit. And friends, after nine years now 
of our church. I do not want to see us try to end in the flesh what was begun in the spirit. And in our personal lives, when we were born again, and God already has begun to bring fruit in our life, let us not try to now end it in the flesh by our own good works, by our own religious, legalistic attitudes. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to do the work in us, friends, because the Bible says that he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. But that means we need to trust the Lord. See, I want to break down five reasons why David refused to kill King Saul. Number one, David knew that God had anointed King Saul over Israel. And because David trusted God, he was determined to let God choose when Saul would no longer be king. Friends, when we know that someone does us wrong, we need to trust God and when he, what he's going to do with it. David also knew, number two, that God had anointed David as king of Israel. And David had great faith that God compelled him to wait until David made him the actual king. He trusted God in his timing. David also loved the crowned prince, Jonathan, King Saul's son, and didn't want to do anything that would offend Jonathan in any way. David had given a solemn word that he would not harm anyone in Jonathan's family. This is the thing, friends. I call it secondhand offense. Oftentimes in our retaliation, oftentimes when we try to retaliate, when we try to pay back, right, we end up offending those around the person we're trying to pay back more than we even offend them. This happened to me this week. Someone said something to someone I love. They weren't offended, and I was. I was offended for them. Took me almost a whole day to shake it off. <laughs> right? The person wasn't even offended, but I was mad. Now I'm offended. And that's how it happens. Oftentimes, God wants us to let it go, but instead, we want payback. We want to make the person hurt. And so then we don't even see it's affecting our children. It's affecting our family members. It's affecting everybody around us. And it's not making us any better. But yet, David knew not to do that. He didn't want to see anyone in King Saul's family hurt. Also, David was content to wait for God's timing. Friends, godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment, being happy with what God has given you, being thankful of the blessings that you have in your life, knowing being, this is my lot, this is where God has me, this is the season of life that I'm in, and I'm going to be content. It's really hard when you're ambitious. It's really hard when you're a dreamer, and I am, both of those things, to sometimes be content because I see the more. But God says be content with what you have. It doesn't mean you don't dream. It doesn't mean that you don't have vision. But, friends, at the same time, we need to stop with this American ways of keeping up with the Joneses. You know what I mean? Trying to keep up with everybody else. Oh, they got a new flat screen TV, so I'm going to fight over a new flat screen TV and stample somebody on, you know what I mean? Come on, friends. We need to be content with what we have, godliness with contentment. And finally, David refused to allow his heart to be offended. He trusted God to handle King Saul. He trusted God to reward his faithfulness. Let the Lord judge between you and me. David didn't need to do anything more to defend himself before Saul. He referred to the matter to the Lord. 
We need to learn to refer the matter to the Lord sometimes. I'm going to tell you what, when you do, it's so awesome. I don't do it all the time because I have a big mouth, and that, that's why I'm praying that prayer about my tongue sticking to the roof of my mouth. And sometimes, instead of referring the matter to the Lord, I'm like, God, I know you see that. You want me to say something? Oh, let me say, and before he tells, before I can be quiet enough to listen to him and say, no, I'm saying something. You ever been there? Friends, we've got to learn to refer it to the Lord. David referred it to the Lord. He said, let the Lord judge between you and I. You know what? Sometimes when someone does us wrong, whether it's your husband at home or your children at home, your, uh, your, your mom or dad, instead of trying to take matters in your own hands and have payback, we need to learn to refer it to the Lord instead of trying to retaliate. We need to refer it to the Lord. I can't say that word to save my life. I'm glad y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> See, David would let God plead his case and be his judge. David didn't just say, my hand shall not be against you. Instead, he proved it. By when God delivered Saul and tested David, he proved it by saying, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. Sometimes we need to step back and say, you know what? I'm not going to touch it. I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to refer it to the Lord. I'm not going to take payback. I'm going to refer it to the Lord. Come on, friends, we need to get there. See, because the Bible says in Romans 12, 19, it says, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And I like what it says in the Old Testament here, Deuteronomy 32 and 35. Don't you realize that I have my shelves well stocked, locked behind iron doors? I'm in charge of vengeance and what? Payback. Just waiting for them to slip up And the day of their doom is just around the corner, sudden and swift and sure. See, friends, when you feel offended, we need to not try to defend ourselves. We need to allow the Lord to defend us. We don't need payback. We need to allow God to do what God needs to do. Now, in saying this, I want to clarify a few things. If you have been in a position where you have been physically abused or sexually abused, this is not what I'm talking about. God has, we live in a country that has a justice system and we need to use that justice system. That is different than trying to take matters into your own hands. That's the kind of payback I'm talking about is when we try to take matters into our own hands. But if you have been right, right, you've been wronged in a way like that, that is not something that we're supposed to just leave alone. That's something that needs to be brought to the light. Go to someone you love, someone you trust. Go to a godly person that can help you in that, okay? I just wanted to clarify that. The second habit that we need to develop in order to keep our heart free from offense. The first one is payback is whose? Payback is the Lord's. We don't need payback is not ours, it's God's. The second thing, though, it is ours. The onus is on us on this one. We need to pay our own debts. 2 Samuel chapter 12, 1 and 13. This is after David had sinned with Bathsheba. This is after he became king and he lusted after a beautiful woman and took her as his own wife and killed her husband. She was a married woman. And this is what happened. God brought a rebuke to David through Nathan the prophet. says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing but one little lamb. He He had brought, he raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. He shared his food and drank 
from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come, come to him. Instead, he took the one little lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times, say four times, four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you, your master's wives and your arms. I gave you all of Israel and Judah, and if that had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Abanite. Now, Therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despise me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. And then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Get this, friends. Unlike King Saul, David did not justify his sin. He admitted that he was wrong. He did not try to blame anyone else. He didn't go through the whole laundry list of blaming. He didn't say, well, Bathsheba, that hoochie mama, was up on the roof. You know she could have went in the house and bathed, but instead she's bathing on the roof, right? All out in the open, I couldn't help but see it. I was just on the balcony chilling. I couldn't help but see her. It's not my fault. It's her fault. Or he could have said, you know what? I know I should be at war because that's what the Bible says. It was in the season that the, the kings went to war. But instead, you know, I needed a break. I've been warned since my youth. I needed a break. So I took a vacation. And how are you going to take me on my vacation? He could have blamed God. But instead, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. Friends, we've got to learn from David this way. We need to pay our own debt. When we do wrong, we, need to, we just need to take ownership of it and say, you know what? You're right. I messed up. My husband says this is my fa- favorite three words to hear him say. You are right. Try it, husbands. It's awesome. <laughs> we need to take ownership, Right? We need to know when we do wrong, it's our debt that needs to be paid. And in that, friends, we need to know that Jesus paid the debt for us. But see, in the Old Testament, before Jesus paid the debt, there was a system that was set up. It was called sacrifices. And that's what needed to be done in order to... uh, repent of your sins. And so David sacrificed and he repented of his sins, but yet there's still consequences to our sin. And we have to realize that sometimes we want to do things and we want to say sorry and think that there's no consequences. And friends, there's consequences to sin. 
And when David was very harsh in his statement against the rich man who took the poor man's sheep, he said that he needed to pay it. How many times? I had you guys repeat it. He needed to pay back four times. Well, listen to what happened to David. Four times David had to pay back what he did for the murder of Uriah, and David had four sons that he lost. The sword did not leave his home. He lost Bathsheba's child, the first one. He lost Amnon, Absalom, and Adina, whatever it is. We'll just call him Donnie. He lost him too. Listen, friends, there's consequences. There's consequences when we mess up, when we sin, man. There's consequences. It breaks relationships. That's why the Bible says he hates divorce. It doesn't mean that you'll, you can't ever um, live a happy life if you've been through one, but there's consequences. Your children are going to suffer. That's why there's consequences. You can't tell me there's consequences. I've had so many people say, well, you know what? I'm going to marry him, and so it's okay. And then they end up having babies outside of wedlock, outside of the covering that God has for it, and then there's, there's suffering. One of the consequences, I believe, to that is the number one cause of poverty in America. Do you know what that is? It's having children without being married. It's consequences. It's hard. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be compassionate to people who mess up or people who fall. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be compassionate to one another because we all mess up. We all fall. We all stumble in many ways, as the Bible says. No one is righteous, not one. But listen, friends, we have to understand, we have to teach our children the reality that, yes, God will forgive you. But sometimes we get off on this easy grace, this easy believism that we say, God will forgive you. So I'm going to just go out and have my merry fun and ask for forgiveness. The Bible says, should I keep on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. There's consequences to sin. And you don't know. You don't know when Jesus can show up. You don't know when you're going to take your last breath. And I don't want it to be after I say something really stupid. <laughs> I kind of hope he comes back when I'm preaching one day. That would be kind of awesome. Just let, me, let, me, let me go out right here. <laughs> but in all seriousness, friends, there is consequences to sin. Now, David, a man, even though a man after God's own heart, he was a man. And unfortunately, it took him a while to learn that sin had consequences. And like most of us, David fell into sin again. This time, David was an older king, and he wanted to count his troops. Now, counting his troops is not, the the sin is not in counting his troops. There's a whole book in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that's called Numbers. It's okay to count. But his sin is, and his pride, the reason why he desired to count his troops in his older years is he wanted to say, look at what I built. Look at this vast army that I built. Look at me. I built a bigger army than Saul, he might have been thinking. Look at what I've done. Look at what my dynasty is going to have. And in that sin, matter of fact, when he sent out his, his uh, top dog, if you will, <laughs> his commander, his army guy, Joab came to him and said, don't do it. God will, give, God will give you even more, but don't go count. Don't do it. And he said, you know what? You go count. And so he did. And what happened was David became conscious of his sin. He understood the Holy, I believe the Holy Spirit. See, God has given us a conscience. He's given us a conscience. 
And he allows the Holy Spirit to speak to that. I remember one time Pastor Josh and I were talking before Pastor Josh was uh, even saved. I was asking him some personal questions that I'm not going to repeat here. But I was asking him, now, did you feel bad for that? He was like, well, I didn't grow up in church and I didn't know. I said, I know, but God has given us a conscience. And I believe that even when you're not saved, there is a conscience that God has given us. And, and the Holy Spirit will use that to make us feel bad when we do something wrong. And he said, you know what, when I think back about it, about it the first time, yeah, I did. I said, because that's, that's a gift that God has given to mankind. We were created in his image, friends. It's a gift. And the Bible says in 2 Samuel 24, 10, and 14, that says that David was conscience-stricken after he had counted the fighting men. And he said to the Lord, I've sinned greatly in what I've done. Now, Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. But before David got up the next morning, the word of the Lord had came to Gad, the prophet, David's seer. Go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I am giving you three options. Say three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. So Gad went to David and said to him, shall there be three, shall there come to you three years of famine in your land or three months of fleeing from your enemies while they pursue you or three days of plague in your land? Now then think it over and decide how I should answer the one who sent me. David said to Gad, I am in deep distress let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great, but do not let me fall in human hands. <clears throat> I want to point something out, the difference between the way David repented this time versus the way David repented when he fell into sin with Bathsheba. I think the number one difference is he, w- he was basically caught with Bathsheba. God had to call him out on it. God had to send the prophet Nathan to him first and said, you are that man. This time, when David sinned, he became conscious of it, right? He, he was stricken in, a, in his gut, in, a, in his soul. He knew he did something wrong. And see, friends, that is God's grace. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times and gets back up. When we fall into sin once, there be, we can become sensitive to that area of sin in our life that we won't have to fall into it over and over and over because God will make us conscious of it now. He'll make us say, you know what? I got to stay away from that. And that's what God was doing because really his sin with Bathsheba had nothing to do with just lust. That was a part of it. I believe it had to do with pride, just like counting the troops. He felt like he didn't have to go out with the, with the armies and he was going to sit back and relax. He's done, did his duty. And you know what? If he wants, he can have whatever he, whatever he wants. If he already has all these wives, if he wants another one, he can take her too. And God said no. And then again, but this time he was conscience stricken. And he said, you know what? I'm sorry, God. Before anyone came to him, I'm sorry, God. I've sinned. Take away my sin. But listen, God still sent someone to him. Because sometimes when, when we sin, we think to ourselves, well, we can just handle this by ourselves. We don't need anyone to help us. And friends, that's pride. It holds us back from what God wants. We need to confess that to somebody. But the awesome thing about having a godly marriage is you can confess it first to your wife or to your husband. That's why God loves godly marriages. Confess it to a brother or sister in the Lord. Confess it to someone who is a mentor or something, a pastor or someone who is more mature than you in the Lord. God wants us to be there for one another, to help one another through it so that we don't have to keep falling into sin over and over and over again. And then thirdly, in wisdom, David 
said, you know what? It's better for me to fall into the hands of the Lord. He said, don't put me in the hands of men. I'm going to choose to trust God because God disciplines his sons. That's what the Bible says in Hebrews. He disciplines those he loves. And yet, friends, sometimes we get so frustrated and we feel like we uh, don't need to listen to discipline. We don't need to, we, you know, we get so frustrated and so upset and think, I don't want to hear it, God. But yet God disciplines those he loves, friends. See, 2 Samuel 24 said he disciplines those he loves. But 2 Samuel 24, David got to a place that he knew. Do you know that 70,000 had already died from the plague? And he knew this was his fault. And he knew he needed to pay the debt. And so he went to Aruna and he said, I want your field. And Aruna says, here, take it. Make your sacrifice. I'll give you the oxen too. He said, no, no, no. I'm going to pay full price for it. It says, but the king replied to Aruna, no, I insist. I'm paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord, my God, burnt offerings that cost me nothing. If a man's principles, friends, don't cost him anything, they're not worth very much. If our faith does not cost us anything, then it's not worth very much. If our worship does not cost us anything, then it's not worth very much. If our church doesn't cost us anything, time, money, uh, faithfulness, then it's not worth very much. If our marriage doesn't cost us anything, it's not worth very much. If our children don't cost us anything, they're not worth very much. But friends, there's a cost to things. And David understood that. He understood that in sacrifice, one of the number one principles is there's a cost. Jesus understood that. The Bible says that he left the, all the beauty of heaven in, in Philippians 2 and that he made himself a servant, taking on the very nature of man. And he came here on this earth and he became obedient to death even death on a cross friends it cost him everything so that you and I can have freedom but friends here in the old testament David had to pay that that cost you know he understood though that sacrifice is not just what the Lord wants but the true sacrifice that the Lord wants is a heart that is willing to be obedient to him one of the things that I'm so blessed is that, that my, my mom has taught me some godly principles. And one of the things that she taught um, me is that she never comes to the house of the Lord without an offering to him. This is her own personal thing. She said, I don't want to ever come to the house of the Lord without offering something. And so for her, she feels like even when I'm broke, I'm going to find some change in my purse. I'm going to find a dollar or a couple bucks, and I'm going to give an offering to the Lord. And she's very faithful in her tithe. Matter of fact, my parents backslid when I was growing up for 10 years. I came back to the Lord, and, my, and one thing that my parents did before they even started going back to church was giving their tithe. And I went to my mom, and I said, Mom, I was a youth pastor at the time. I said, you don't even go to church. Why are you tithing? She said, just because I'm sending in, you know, these areas don't mean i got to send in every area. I'm going to at least have my finances be blessed. I said, Mom, okay. <laughs> I wasn't going to talk her out of it, but it didn't make sense to me. But she has kept that where she says, I am going to honor God in this area. It's a discipline I've got down on. I'm not going to give up on it. And, friends, I want to encourage you, man. That's something I want to be like with my mom, that I'm going to honor him in sacrificing to God. And so that means there's going to be times where I feel like I would rather go buy this or I'd rather do that, but I'm going to give a sacrifice unto the Lord. And that means financially. That means with my time. That means with my effort. And most of all, that means with my full heart 
that I'm going to want to give him everything, that my worship I want to be honoring to the Lord, true and holy worship. It's a lifestyle that says it's not just church on Sunday mornings, but it's every day, friends. David learned that he needed to pay his own debt. Do you take responsibility when you sin? Or do you try to make things right only when it's convenient for you? Or do you try to make things right when you know that you've offended somebody? Do you follow the Matthew 18 principle by going to somebody when you offend somebody? Or do you instead become passive aggressive and put some thing on Facebook when everybody knows who you're talking about anyway? Friends, come on. It's time to grow up. 30-something years old? Come on. 40-something years old and just got a vent on Facebook? Get yourself a journal. Go into the prayer closet. Get into his book. Friends, come on, we need to stop with this crazy passive aggressiveness. And we need to get before the Lord and say, man, God, I want to honor you in this. I don't want payback. And I do instead want to pay my own debt. I do instead want to man up, woman up, and take responsibility for my own life. Friends, the third habit that we need to develop to keep our heart free from offense is that we need to realize that position is not something that should be held onto tightly. Position should be held onto instead loosely. See, King Saul was doing everything humanly possible to hold on to the power, while David was content with only a few, only uh, fight a defensive battle against Saul to preserve his life until God placed him on the throne of Israel. Then, when King David was an older man and he did have the kingdom. He was tested again to see if he would try to hold on to his position. See, David could have fought King Saul for that position. He was already anointed king. He could have fought him, and he probably would have defeated him, and he could have got the position, but he would, once he got that position, he would have lost the blessing of God, and he would no longer have a heart after God's own heart. So instead, he let God do the fighting for him. And now that he has the kingdom, he's tested again. He's tested by his own son, Absalom, who led a rebellion against him. You can find this, this account in 2 Samuel 15. What happened was Absalom was offended at his dad because he felt his dad was not acting justly towards him. What happened was his own brother raped his own sister. So it's all kinds of nasty. Incest, rape, all, all up in the family, just lots of drama going on here, right? And Absalom was so offended that King David didn't do anything to the son who raped his sister. And so Absalom took matters into his own hand and and killed that son. And so then Absalom was banished from the land for so many years. And eventually King David and Absalom reconciled. (laughs) And Absalom came back. But Absalom still had bitterness. See, friends, sometimes we reconcile, quote, unquote, but we don't really get over it because we have bitterness. We don't really forgive. We have bitterness. And, man, I'm telling you what, that thing is an ugly thing. I've realized how ugly Because sometimes people can say things that really sting. And you feel like, I forgive them and I can get over it. But then there's certain times that something's brought up, mm, nope. And you realize there's that root of bitterness. And the Bible says the root of bitterness defiles many. And it's defiling our children, those around us, and our family. And we got to uproot that piece and say, I let it go. God help me. I'm preaching to myself right now. I let it go. It's time, friends, when we hold on to position, when we hold on to possession like it's ours, we find ourselves in sin. 
Everything we have is his. Amen. So what happened is in the course of time, Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He went and got up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone would come and complain to a place before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, what town are you from? He would answer, your servant's from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, if only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or a case could come to me and I would see that they received justice. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out their, his hand, take hold of them, and kiss them. Absalom behaved in such a way toward all of Israelites who came to the king asking for justice, and so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. And at the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, let me go to Hebron and fulfill a vow I made to the Lord while your servant was living in Gersher and Aram. I made this vow. If the Lord takes me back to Jerusalem, I will worship the Lord in Hebron. The king said to him, go in peace. So he went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent secret messages throughout the tribe of Israel. As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then said, Absalom is king in Hebron. 200 men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. They had been invited as guests and went quite innocently, knowing nothing about the matter. While Absalom was offering sacrifices, he sent for David's counselor to come to his hometown and so the conspiracy gained strength and Absalom's following kept increasing, friends. So as a messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are now with Absalom. Then David said to all of his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come, we must flee or none of us will escape Absalom. We must leave immediately or he will move in quickly and overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. He didn't want to see that. David cared more about the people in the city. He didn't want to see anyone die. And so instead of fighting, he, he fled. Friends, there's a time to fight and there's a time to flee. There's a time to engage in spiritual warfare and there's a time to get on our face and say, God, let the finger of the Lord go before me. I run to your shelter for where I am safe. I can't do it on my own. I come to you. I need you to do the battle. The battle is the Lord's. Friends, sometimes we need to let God do our fighting for us. We need to learn to let, allow God to defend us. And if we do this, we won't be so easily offended. We will have thicker skin. There was a season a few years ago where we had some very vicious rumors that went around that were absolutely not true. And I'm telling you what, I, everything inside of me wanted to fight. I mean, everything. But I had to step back and say, God, you know the truth. I'm waiting on you. I mean everything. They're literally Absalom. This person was an Absalom standing outside of the church, stopping people as they were leaving our free meal to tell them how bad our church was. I mean, it got bad. I can't even give all details. It's just too recent. It was a few years ago, but still just too recent. It got, it got ugly and it got bad. And I just said, you know what? I'm going to keep my mouth shut. God knows the truth. And I believe that if I would have tried to retaliate on my own, did I say it right that time? See, I just got to say it fast. Oh, <laughs> I believe if I would have tried for some payback, God would not have blessed our ministry. Friends, we've got to honor the Lord. We can't hold on to position. 
I could have went out there and be like, don't you know who I am? Third generation Southside right here, baby. I could have went to a foreign country, but I stayed here in the South. End. I mean, I could have went out there and beating my chest and acting silly and goofy. <laughs> anyone, anyone who knows me from back in the day, come on, I could have. And friends, we all can. There's all, there's, we all have situations that we can beat our chest and say, don't you know who I am? Listen, friends, it doesn't matter if the people out there know who we are. What matters is let God know who we are. Let us have a heart after him. God wants to defend us, but we've got to let him. Do you trust in God when you feel like your position or possession is threatened? Do you trust in God when you refuse to get offended? Do you trust in God when someone says something mean or harmful or hurtful to you or to your family or to your children? Do you refuse to hold on to position, possession, and promotion? Instead, do you hold on to God and his promises? Because when you do, friends, he comes through every time. He is, he's faithful. He's not a son of man that he shall lie or change his mind. Would you stand on your feet with me today? I know this is a meaty word for nine years, but, friends, I believe God has taken us into deep things. Say deep things. God has taken us deeper. And God wants to bless us today. If you would close your eyes, I want to speak a blessing over you. We want a fellowship. We want a party. We want to go downstairs and take selfies and, and have a good time and eat up some desserts. But listen, friends, I want to speak a blessing over you. God is taking Vision Ministries to another level. And one thing that's going to keep us back from it is if we allow bitterness, unforgiveness, and offense into our heart, we've got to get rid of those things. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your people today. I speak a blessing over every single one of them. They are your sons and your daughters. They belong to you. You are their God. You are their father. They are your sons and your daughters. And God, I know there's people in here with real hurt in their heart. There's people who have been offended and, and done wrong by their own mothers and fathers, by their own siblings, by their own uh, immediate family, by close friends. They've been betrayed, but God, you love them, and you are calling them to be better than that. You are calling them to let it go. You are calling them to forgive, to release, to refer the matter to you, Lord. And so, God, I pray you would give every single person strength in here today to give it to you. To give it to you. If you're in your soul and every salvation that has come from this place because of you, Lord, to you, all the glory. Father God, I pray today that you would give us hearts that are tender and hearts that are soft, that we could have hearts that are truly brave, Lord God, that we would be warriors, Lord God, that we would be courageous, that we would do what you've called us to do. We bind and rebuke the enemy right now in the name of Jesus. And God, we thank you for releasing your freedom in this place, freedom to worship, freedom to live godly lives, freedom to honor you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. We've been on this series, and I've loved this series. We kind of got inspired by Pastor Josh and I's favorite movie, Braveheart, or one of our favorite, top ten at least. And we just saw the parallel there between that movie and King David. And so we've been talking about King David this past three weeks and how he has a heart after God. Now, see, we've been talking about heart issues, and the heart is something that is a very tender thing. But I love what the scripture says in Jeremiah 17. I think it describes the heart really well. It says, the heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. But I, God, search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. I get to the root 
of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. And these, in these last several weeks, we have been getting to the roots of things in our heart. The first week we talked about a, a heart that has to re, uh, re, not receive rejection because rejection can damage the heart if we allow it to. And so we talked about that the first week. Last week, Pastor Joshua talked about a heart that is truly courageous. And this week, we're going to talk about a heart that refuses to be offended. And see, King David, as the scripture says in Acts 13, 22, has a heart after God. God himself, and even in the New Testament, testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. He was testifying concerning his heart. Now, we know from reading the scriptures that David had a lot of sin issues. He messed up. He stumbled. He was human. He failed. But yet he still kept his heart towards God. And so today we're going to talk about a brave heart is not easily offended. Can you say that with me? A brave heart is not easily offended. See, friends, offense is the bait of Satan. Okay? If you've not read that book, I highly recommend it. The Bait of Satan by John Brevere. It To me, it's a Christian classic that every Christian should read because really offense is the bait of Satan. And what it does is it keeps people from walking in their full destiny. So today we're going to talk about three habits to develop in order to keep your heart free from offense. And when you walked in this morning, hopefully you received a bulletin and inside that bulletin, there is a talk it over sheet. So if you want to follow along with me and take notes and take this home and study um, deeper, because we're going to have a lot of scripture, I encourage you to do that. So you can go ahead and pull that out. And the very first thing that we want to talk about, the very first habit that needs to be developed is payback is not our responsibility. Can you say that with me? Payback is not our responsibility. We're going to get here for a minute. See, King Saul, the king prior to King David, you know, he tried to kill David numerous times, and yet David never retaliated by trying to kill King Saul. Matter of fact, Saul came to hate David because he knew, one, that Jonathan and David were intimate friends, and he was jealous of that relationship, but he also knew that Jonathan, his son, would never be king of Israel as long as David was alive. So Saul attempts to kill David seven times in the scriptures. Okay, you can look them up. It's all through 1 Samuel, uh, mostly chapter 18, 19, 20, and 23. But seven different times he tries to kill King David. And yet David at least two times had an opportunity to have paybacks. At least two times had an opportunity to take matters into his own hand. At least two times had opportunity to try to kill King Saul. And yet he didn't. And in both times, he not only did he not take paybacks himself, but he restrained the men that he was with and said, no, we're not going to go there. We're not going to touch the Lord's anointed. He knew that vengeance was the Lord's and not his. I want to examine a little bit on 1 Samuel chapter 24. We're not going to read the whole time, but there was a time that David had to flee. After you guys know about that, we talked in the last couple of weeks about after he killed the giant and then the women were singing songs about uh, him killing more people and, and then, or as my kids say, more bad guys than, 
King Saul, and King Saul started to get jealous, and he started um, being territorial and uh, afraid that David would rise up in power and take his place. And so he attempted to, to kill David, and David fled the country for his life, and he had some what they call the mighty men that went with him. And these men were ones who were disgruntled and uh, offended, if you will, of the way the kingdom was going, and they were here with David. And so David, in 1 Samuel chapter 24, was hiding in a cave, and King Saul was searching for him. Well, King Saul was a man, and all of us people have to sometimes use the restroom. And he decided to go into the cave to use the restroom, and guess who was there? David and all his mighty men. And his, and his warrior friends were saying, here is the enemy. God has delivered him into your hands. It's time to get paybacks, right? It's time to retaliate. God, it's time, it's time to have revenge. God is delivering him into your hands right now. And yet David restrained himself and restrained the men around him. He said he wasn't going to touch the Lord's anointing. See, the living Bible gives a good sense of 1 Samuel chapter 24, chapter, uh, verse 12. It says, perhaps the Lord will kill you for what you're trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. This is what David said to Saul. Perhaps the Lord will kill you for what you're trying to do to me, but I will never harm you, even though he was right there. Matter of fact, the Bible says he cut off a piece of Saul's robe to just prove to him, I could have taken revenge. I could have had my paybacks. But he says to him, perhaps the Lord will, because I will never harm you. See, it was inevitable that Saul would be judged and that he would come to lose his throne. I mean, God spoke it over him. He said, I'm going to find one more worthy than yourself. But it was absolutely God's business to accomplish that. And it was no one else's business, not even King David's. See, Jesus established the same principle in Matthew 18 and verse 7 when he said, offense must come, but woe to the man whom the offense comes. God's judgment, friends, is God's business. That's why sometimes I get a little annoyed when I see people saying, oh, God's judging this when something bad happens because really that's God's business. And we need to be careful on what we say as Christian people. We put ourselves in a bad place when we make, it, make ourselves instruments of God's judgment, friends. We put ourselves in a very bad place when we do that. See, David said something else that I thought was very unique here. He said to Saul, he said, wickedness proceeds from the wicked. See, David used this proverb to make a point. He said, Saul, if I really was a wicked as your advisors say that I am, if I really was out to kill you, I would have done that wicked act in the cave because no wickedness proceeded from me when I had the opportunity. It really shows my heart, right? The heart after God that's not wicked towards you. Jesus said it like this. He said, it's not what goes into a man's mouth that makes him unclean. He says, it's what comes out of a man's mouth that makes him unclean. Friends, when we feel that we have a right to give payback every time someone offends us, every time someone does something wrong to us, it shows that there's wickedness still in our own heart. And let me be sensitive here for a minute because I know it's very easy to have 
what I call self-preservation, where we want to defend ourselves. We want paybacks. When someone does us wrong or someone says something mean to us or someone hurts our feelings, we want to retaliate. We want to wish them harm. We want to see harm come to them. But friends, it's not God's will. His will is for us to leave it in his hands and trust him. See, therefore, let the Lord be the judge and see and plead my case and deliver me from your hand. This is what David told Saul. I'm still trusting God, friends. This is what he is implying. I'm still trusting God. He will deliver me out of your hand. See, the Bible says, trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all his ways and he will make your path straight before you. Friends, if you have something that you're holding on to, some offense, some unforgiveness towards somebody, maybe it's towards a parent. I've realized the, uh, the older I get, just how much our childhood affects us. And maybe, it was, maybe it's towards a spouse or maybe it's towards a family member. We just had Thanksgiving and getting it all around the family. Sometimes that brings out the best or the worst in us. But friends, God does not want us to hold on to offense or unforgiveness. Matter of fact, he says, forgive as you have been forgiven. Friends, that is the one thing, man, we need to be careful. It is the bait of saying he wants you to feel like you have a right. He wanted David to feel like you have a right to be offended. You were anointed as king. And now this king, who's in fact your, your father-in-law, who's supposed to be mentoring you and bringing you up, Instead, it's chasing you down like you're some common criminal to kill you. And now he's delivered this soul into your very hands by making him come into the cave by himself. You can take matters into your own hands is what his friends around him were telling. It's probably the thoughts that was going through his head. It's probably the lies that the enemy was saying to him. But friends, David resisted paybacks. And friends, we've got to resist that too. It's not godly. It's not what God wants for us. He wants us to forgive. He wants us to let it go. He wants us to give it to his hands. We never know because God is a merciful God. Sometimes we don't understand why things happen the way they happen. And that's okay to take your feelings and your emotions to the Lord. But friends, it's never okay to try to get paybacks on your own. It's not, that's not God's will. There's five reasons why David refused to kill King Saul. I think we can learn from these. One, David knew that God had anointed King Saul over Israel. He knew God anointed him. And because David trusted God, he was determined to let God choose when Saul would no longer be king. He trusted God. Do we trust God in all circumstances in our lives? See, David knew that God had anointed king, him king over Israel in 1 Samuel 16, David knew that he was anointed. And David's great faith in God compelled him to wait until God made him king. An actual fact. Friends, sometimes we receive promises from the Lord, but we want to, take, we want to step out of sight of God's timing and do things in our own hands. And friends, there's consequences to that when we do that. How many times have I heard, a young woman tell me, well, yes, I've, I've had sex with this man who's not my husband, but we're going to get married and then it not work out. 
How many times have I heard someone believe that they were supposed to be promoted at a job and then instead of waiting and serving the Lord, they step out of bounds and then they don't get that promotion. Trying to do matters in their own hands. Friends, David learned to wait on God and we should too. Number three, another reason why David refused to kill King Saul's. David had a love for the, uh, the crowned prince, Jonathan. Matter of fact, King Saul son was Jonathan and he didn't want to do anything to offend Jonathan in any way. Sometimes when we're offended and we feel like we have a right to pay back, we hurt others who weren't even involved in the situation. I call it secondhand offense. I had to deal with that myself this weekend. Someone said something to somebody I love. They weren't offended. I got offended for them. Come on. Who does that? I know I'm not the only one. David had enough wisdom to know that, you know what, even though Saul, the king Saul, Jonathan's father was coming against him and doing wrong, that if he would have retaliated, if he would have had paybacks, that would have ruined his relationship with Jonathan. Friends, we got to think sometimes before we speak. We need to think sometimes before we make action. Who all is affected by it? Lord. Something I've been praying over myself, I'm going to give you guys an inside and Pastor Joy's journal, and you can take it home and pray it over yourself if you need it. It's helped a little. I need to help even more so you can even pray it for me. (laughs) But one thing I've been praying faithfully probably for the last four weeks, at least five times a week, is, Lord, if I'm going to say something that does not glorify your name, and I go to the old school prophet, I said, let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth, Lord. I feel like I'm getting a callus up there. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Friends, we need to think before we speak. We need to think of who all is going to be affected. Sometimes you feel like you have a right for paybacks, but you know what? Your children are going to be affected by that. You can cut off relationship. Sometimes we feel like, oh, we have a right to tell aunt so-and-so or grandma so-and-so or my mom or dad so-and-so or uncle so-and-so. Who else is going to be affected by that? Sometimes we need to keep our mouth shut and just allow the Lord to do it. David did that because he loved those in King Saul's family. Another reason why David did not uh, refuse to kill King Saul is David was content to wait for God's timing instead of trying to force things. Are you willing to wait for God's timing in your life? Or do you want to force things? Godliness with contentment is great gain, friends. Finally, David refused to allow his heart to be offended. He trusted God to handle King Saul. He trusted God to reward his faithfulness. He said, let the Lord judge between you and me. David did not need anything more to defend himself before Saul. He referred to the matter to the Lord. David would let God plead his case and be his judge. David didn't just say, my hand shall not be against you. He proved it. By not killing Saul when he had the opportunity, friends. When someone does us wrong, we need to learn to allow the Lord to be the judge between them. Now, as I'm saying that, I want to add a little um, bit of understanding. I'm not talking about if there was some kind of crime against you or if there was some kind of physical or emotional abuse That does need to be brought to the light, okay? We have a justice system in our country, and we need to use it. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about when we hold on to unforgiveness. Because sometimes someone can get punished by the law, if you will, but yet we still hold on to 
uh, forgiveness. And then that punishes us when we try to take paybacks because it hardens our heart and keeps us from relationship from the father. Okay, friends, we've got to overcome this because the Bible says it like this in Romans 12, 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath for it is written. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Deuteronomy 32, 35 in the message version says it like this. Don't you realize that I have my shelves well stocked, locked behind iron doors? I'm in charge of vengeance and payback. Just waiting for them to slip up. And the day of their doom is just around the corner, sudden and swift and sure. Jesus has you covered, friends. God has your back. When you feel you're offended, do you try to defend yourself or do you allow the Lord God to defend you? He wants us to allow him to defend us. That's how we can let go of offense because it really will keep us from walking in our full destiny. It really will keep us from having a brave heart. It really will keep us. It's braver to let it go than hold on to it. That's easy. The second habit to develop in order to keep your heart free from offense is to pay your own debts. Listen, paybacks are not for us. But when we have a debt, it's up to us to pay our own debts. Let me explain by reading the scripture and showing you how David handled the different situations. Second Samuel, we're going to read chapter 12, 1 through 13. It's with us. I want you to read along with this because I know not everybody um, necessarily knows this, okay? The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except for one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now the traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the little lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. That, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel. And I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you, your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all of Israel and, and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord? And by doing what is evil in his eyes, you struck down your Uriah, the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says out of your own household. I'm going to bring calamity on you before your very eyes. I will take your wives and give them 
to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Friends, I want to read that passage to give you background. David sinned against the Lord, and yet, unlike Saul, he manned up and admitted he was wrong. See, unlike King Saul, David did not justify his sin. He admitted he was wrong. He did not try to blame anyone else. He didn't give the laundry list of excuses of Bathsheba was out there seducing me, bathing on the rooftop. Couldn't she go into somewhere private and take a shower? It's not my fault. It's just everywhere to be seen. Right? He didn't say, you know what? I was tired from all the war, so I decided to take a vacation because the Bible says he wasn't even supposed to be home. He was supposed to be at war with his troops. He didn't, he, he didn't say, you know what? I was tired, so I took a vacation. I wanted to feel the fresh breeze, so I went up to my balcony. He didn't make any excuse. And yet sometimes when we sin, we have every excuse. When King Saul sinned against the Lord, he had every excuse. We don't take responsibility. David learned to accept the consequences from his sin. And the consequences were very hard and very real. And friends, I'm going to tell you this. God is forgiving and he's loving, but don't think that there's not consequences when you sin because there are. There's consequences. David had to accept the consequences of his sin and and it was the sword shall never depart from your house. God promised From that day forward, David would know violence and bloodshed from among his own family members. And let me tell you, there was a lot of things that happened. He had one daughter raped by another son of his. He had one son murdered by another son of his. He had one son rise up and try to take over the kingdom. He lost the baby that Bathsheba was pregnant with. He knew heartache and loss. Matter of fact, David demanded from the story of the, uh, that Nathan gave, of the, little, the rich man and the, and the poor man with the little lamb, he demanded that that rich man would be, uh, had to pay restu- restitution four times, a four-fold restitution. And look at this. When you actually read the Bible, David's sons, David lost four sons, Bathsheba's child, Ammon, Absalom, and Adonijah. Four sons, friends. David learns that sin had consequences. Unfortunately, like most of us, David fell into sin again. Now, this time, David was a little older, okay, a little bit wiser. He's already been through some stuff. David was now an older king, and yet his sin this time was that he wanted to count his troops. Now, the sin was not in the counting of his troops. I mean, there's a whole book in the Old Testament called Numbers, okay, It's okay to count, but it's not okay to count if your motive is pride. And that's what David's motive was. David, by counting his warriors, was attempting to rely on his own strength. Joab, who was his commander, who was not known as a righteous man, said this. It doesn't matter what the count the warriors are. They're all gods anyway. And it's God who gives the increase. And yet, David didn't listen. See, we're going to read this passage right here in 2 Samuel 24, 10 through 14. Stay with me, friends, because this is so important. Such depth here. David, it says, was now conscious stricken. Can you say conscious stricken? 
God gives us a conscience for a reason. He was now conscience stricken after he had counted the fighting men. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. Before David got up the next morning, the word of the Lord came to Gad, the prophet, David's seer. Go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I am giving you three options. Say three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. So Gad went to David and said to him, shall there come on you three years of famine in your land or three months of fleeing from your enemies while they pursue you or three days of plague in your land? Now then, think it over and decide how I should answer the one who sent me. David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord for his mercy is great but do not let me fall in the hands of human. See, there was a difference this time when David sinned compared to when he fell with Bathsheba. One of the main difference is this time it was without prompting that David repents. It wasn't the prophet coming to David first and saying, you are the man. David was conscience stricken. And friends, this is what is supposed to happen. When a righteous man falls down, he's supposed to get back up seven times. If you've sinned once, it should make you more conscious of that area of sin so that you won't sin in that same area again, friends. God gives us a conscience. And God gives us the Holy Spirit, who is our helper, who's the one who's going to speak to us like, don't go there. You've already went there before. You've already tasted of that sin. You know what that brings. This time, David was conscious stricken. The Holy Spirit, I believe, spoke to him and he said, I was wrong. I shouldn't have done it. But God still sent a prophet to speak to him. And he still had to confess. Sometimes, friends, we can't keep that stuff into ourselves. Come on. Sometimes we've got to confess to somebody else, even if we are the ones who bring it to the light, friends. This is what David did. He confessed to God that he had done evil and he asked that it would be remedied. But wisely, there was consequences to the sin. And wisely, when God offers him three choices, David chose to be punished at God's hands. Why? Because at God's hands, he will be disciplined as a son for God is merciful. Friends, we need to take responsibility when we mess up and we need to go to the Lord and we need to not despise his discipline because the word of God says in Hebrews that he disciplines those he loves. But so often when we are being disciplined, we get so angry that we go deeper into our sin instead of repenting and saying, God, I was wrong. See, David is a sinner, and since there at this time was Old Testament, the atonement of Jesus Christ had not yet come, David the sinner must offer a sacrifice. Because of David's sin, there was a plague that was sent on the land. You know, 70,000 had already died, and David knew he had to do something. So David brought, bought a threshing floor, and an oxen had paid 50 shekels of silver for them, even though we see in 2 Samuel 24, 25, or 23, 24, and 25, that Ariah had tried to just give it to him. But this is what David said. He said, but the king replied to Ariah, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Friends, if a man's principles don't cost him anything, they aren't worth very much. 
David here lays out the principles that govern sacrifices. It must be costly, friends. It must cost something. See, in the Old Testament, the, the law said that the sacrifice had to be perfect. You couldn't give your leftovers. You couldn't give your sheep that only had three legs. You couldn't give, right, your lamb that only had one eyeball. You had to give a perfect sacrifice. That's what Jesus was for us. He was a perfect sacrifice, friends. But David knew that it had to cost something. That he couldn't just do it for free. He couldn't just receive a gift and think it was going to be okay. So he he demanded to pay full price for the threshing poor. My mom taught me something, and I'm so grateful for what she taught me. She said, I never go into the house of the Lord without at least an offering. She said, I don't ever want to seem ungrateful when I go to the house of the Lord. And even if I'm broke, I'm finding a couple dollars to give. Because I'm never going to go without offering something. See, my mom has had a, a longer life than most of us in here today. And she's been forgiven much, and so therefore she loves much, and she can't help but give that offering. And I'm glad that she passed that down to me, because I don't want to go to the house of the Lord like he owes me something because I'm owed nothing, friends. He doesn't have to bless me. He doesn't have to prosper me. He doesn't have to make sure my bills get paid, but he does. Because he's worthy and because he's good. But friends, I want to offer him something. I want to say, God, you've done everything for me in Jesus Christ. You paid it all. But God, I want to give you the one thing that I still have left to give you, and that's my heart. That's my heart. So I'm going to love you with all my heart. And I'm going to obey you with all my heart. And I'm going to serve you with all my heart because I don't want to offer something that costs me nothing. And when I mess up, God, like King David, and trust me, I do, I'm going to take ownership. I'm going to pay my debts. I'm going to go back and make it right. David learned that he needed to pay his own debts. Friends, do you take responsibility when you sin? Do you try to make things right? Do you follow the principles of Matthew 18. Do you go to the person who sinned against you? Do you go to the person who offended you? And do you try to make it right? Or you just act passive aggressive on Facebook and put it all out there? It's not biblical, friends. We need to get into his book. And we need to follow what he says. And when we're offended with somebody, if we can't cover it with a multitude, a cover that offense with love, as the scripture tells us to try to first. If we can't cover it with love, then friends, we've got to go to the person and talk to them. One-on-one, before we talk to everybody else about it, we've got to go to them. And in humility, I say, man, this is how I try to do it. I try, when, when I have to go to someone, I try not to put it on them. I try to take ownership of my feelings were hurt. My feelings were hurt. This is how I feel. Not you made this, made me feel like this, but this is how I feel. And I'm coming to you in love, brother or sister, because I want us to be right. Or husband. (laughs) I want us to be right. Come on. Because if we hold it in too long, friends, we can become bitter. And a bitter root defiles many. Don't think you're being holier than thou because you're just holding it in and you're not going to say something. Come on, women. We're known for this. Mm, He should know what he did. Been married 15 years. Well, I got to tell him. He should know. 
teaching our daughters that. Come on. Come on, moms. Making people feel like they have to walk on eggshells around you. Come on. We've got to. We've got to make it right, friends. We've got to take ownership. We've got to pay our own debts. God's looking for people who would take responsibility when they're wrong. God is looking for people who will be obedient. God is looking for people who will offer everything they have to him. And this takes humility, friends. And humility is what keeps us from offense. The third habit that we need to develop that I want to talk about today to keep our heart free from offense is this. Position should be held onto loosely. Payback is for the Lord. Yet we're to pay our own debts. When we do wrong, we need to take ownership. But friends, position is not anything that we should ever hold on to tightly. See, King Saul was doing everything humanly possible to hold on to power while David was content to only fight a defensive battle against Saul to preserve his life until God placed him on the throne of Israel, and that is exactly what happened. But then when the King David was an older man, he was tested again to see if he would try to hold on to his position. David's son, Absalom, led a rebellion against him. 2 Samuel 15, 1 through 15, and you could read the entire chapter to really get the full story, but I'm going to read some of this to you to, to pave again a foundation of what I'm going to talk about here. It says, in the course of time, Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He wanted to look good, friends. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate, and whenever anyone would come to, with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him and say, what town are you from? And he would answer, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there's no representative of the king to hear you. You see how he's doing this? And Absalom would add, if only I were appointed as judge in the land, then everyone who had a complaint or a case could come to me and I would see they would receive justice. Also, when anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him and kiss him. Just like Judas. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. And so he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. At the end of four years of doing this, pretty persistent here, Absalom said to the king, let me go to Hebron and fulfill a vow I made to the Lord. While your servant was living at Gersher in Aram, I made this vow. If the Lord takes me back to Jerusalem, I will worship the Lord at Hebron. See, Absalom was already offended because his sister was raped by his brother and he did not feel that David gave him justice. And he had a right to be offended because there wasn't justice served then. But instead of allowing God to move on his father, he took matters in his own hands. He killed the brother who raped him and then he fled for years. So now he's back into good graces with his father and now it's his turn for paybacks, he thinks, and he's stealing the hearts of the people. In verse 9, it says, the king said to him, go in peace. So he went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent secret messages throughout the tribes of Israel to say, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then say, Absalom, the king of Hebron, 200 men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. 
They had been invited as guests and went quite innocently, innocently, knowing nothing about the matter. While Absalom was offering sacrifices, he sent for, for David's counselor to come from his hometown. So he had a com- conspiracy and gained strength, and Absalom following kept on increasing. A messenger came to David. The hearts of the people of Israel are now with Absalom. David goes on and he hears this. And instead of David retaliating, he learned from his youth. If God appointed me as king, God can keep me as king. And I am not going to take matters into my own hands. And I am not going to be Saul. And I'm not going to try to hold on to this position with everything I have. Instead, I'm going to let it go. He wants to come after me. I'm leaving. Instead of fighting, he fled, friends. There's a time to fight the enemy, friends, and there's a time to wait on God and flee to him under the shelter of the Most High. That's what David did. Sometimes we need to let God do the fighting for us. We need to learn to allow God to defend us. And when we do this, we won't be so easily offended. We will have thicker skin. We will trust the Lord. We won't try to hold on to everything we have. Friends, don't you know that's a poverty mentality? we got to hold on to every position, hold on to every title, hold on to every possession we have because we don't know when we're going to get the next one. But listen, friends, when you trust God, we know we are strangers and aliens passing through. And these positions and these titles and these possessions mean nothing compared to our relationship with the Lord. And we trust him and we lean not on our understanding. We say, God, you can have your way. We need to learn to allow the Lord to defend us. We need to learn when it comes to fighting for position or possession or promotion. It is wisdom to allow God to do that fighting for us. Do you trust God when you feel like your position, your promotion, your possession is threatened? If you trust God, then you refuse, friends, to get offended. If you trust God, you refuse to hold on to those things. And instead you hold on to God's promises. Friends, God has promised us some awesome things here. He's given us and graced us with nine years. And I know there's so much more. I know some of these things are still yet to be fulfilled. God has blessed us this year so much. We've seen an increase in our attendance. We've seen an increase in spiritual growth. We've seen many people baptized and it's to God be the glory. But friends, we've got to refuse to allow offense because that's the number one thing that's going to stop us from growing is when we allow offense to come in. Do you understand what I'm saying? When we get offended easily at people, when we hold on to unforgiveness, when we feel like we have to do everything in our own strength, can we agree today as a body of Christ that we're going to give that to God and not hold on to it ourselves? If you would stand up on your feet with me, please, friends. The Lord is good. Would you close your eyes for a minute and just focus on the Lord? I believe there's people in this place today that have some unforgiveness, have some bitterness that they've been holding on to that they need to let go of. I remember when Pastor Josh and I first got married almost 15 years ago. Before we got married, he handled his daddy issues. His mom and dad went through a really terrible divorce. He went through a really bad rebellion when he was a teenager. A lot of things happened to him during that time that he could have been offended at both his parents, especially his father. But before he ever 
became a father himself, he forgave his father and let go of those things. And I'm so grateful because my children don't have to see him as, a, as, as bitter because he's forgiven. Friends, if there's somebody that you need to forgive, it's gonna, you got to do it because it's going to hold you back from growth. It's going to hold you back. If you're offended at somebody, you got to lay it down. Some of them, you might be offended and they may not even know. You either got to let it go, friends, cover it with a multitude of love, or you need to go to them. We need to follow the Bible. It's the wisdom. If you're in this place today and you know you need to let go of some offense, would you raise your hand to the Lord? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to ask you to have a brave heart today. I'm not doing this to embarrass you, but I'm doing this because sometimes it takes a step of faith. I'm going to ask you if you raise your hand, if you would come on up here, because we want to pray for you today. Just like Gad the prophet and Nathan the prophet sometimes had to go to the, the king and say, listen, you are the man. Or even when the king was conscience stricken, they still had to go and confess that out loud to get rid of that stuff. You don't want to hold on to that. Come on, scoot on up. Scoot on up, friends. God wants to do a healing in this place today. If you're on our pastoral team or our prayer team, I ask you to come on up. I also need our ushers in place. We have gifts that we're going to give each person who has to leave today. When it's time to be dismissed, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord God, for how good you are. God, I thank you for these nine years of celebrating, Lord, of what you're doing, Lord. I thank you for these brave souls that have come up here today, Lord. I thank you for delivering them, God, of bitterness and anger and rage and offense and unforgiveness, Lord. I thank you for freeing them, that they can walk how you've called them to walk, Lord. Bless them in Jesus' name. And Heavenly Father, I pray for every single person in their seats today, Lord. I pray that you would bless them, Lord. I thank you for their contribution into this body, into this church, Lord God. I thank you for their investment. I thank you. God, I pray you would bless them, Lord God, and that you would prosper them, and that you would help them be the head and not the tail, that they would walk according to your word. In Jesus' name, we give you all the glory. Amen. Before you leave today, just as a, uh, a small gift for you, just in celebration of our nine years, we have just a, a coffee mug that has Vision Ministries, Hope to Others. Make sure you grab that before you walk out the door. There should be some uh, in the back and on the side over here if you've got to go out the back door or the side door. Thank you very much. God bless you.